Dear church, we are gathered together in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Let us then confess our sins unto God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. We take a moment of silence as we lay our personal sins before our God. Church, Almighty God in His mercy has given His Son to die for you and for His sake forgives you all your sins. As a called and ordained servant of Christ and by His authority, I therefore forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, the helper of all who call on you, have mercy on us. And give us eyes of faith to see your Son, that we may follow him on the way that leads to eternal life. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated for our scripture readings this morning. And our first reading is from the uh, prophet Jeremiah in his book, in the 31st chapter. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman, and she who is in labor. Together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. This is the word of the Lord. And our epistle reading this morning from the book, our letter to the Hebrews in the seventh chapter. The former priests were many a number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a great high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise as you are able and honor the gospel. Our gospel reading this morning from Mark's gospel in the 10th chapter. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have done. We pray, Lord, as you have gathered us together here this day to hear your word, that you would remove distractions from our hearts and minds, and that you would guard us and keep us in your truth that you have given us in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So an object in motion tends to stay in motion, and an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. Okay, for all you adults out there, that's Newton's witch law of motion. Great! You all remember as much as I did from school. Perfect! So no matter what I say, you actually can't call me out on it because y'all don't remember. That's okay. So first... An object in motion tends to stay in motion and run in a straight line unless acted upon by an outside force. An object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an outside force. The other ones have to do with transference of uh, energy and momentum and uh, equal and opposite reactions and all that kind of stuff. And then his last one was about gravity. What's really amazing about this is that through his observation of God's good world, he saw the way in which things work or tend to work. And it's something that had been observed for a really, really long time. I even back to uh, the Romans and the Greeks and then the Egyptians and everybody before that, they all observed the world in a particular way and all had brilliant observations between the heavens and the earth and the way things interacted. And what I've always loved about the sciences is especially this one. See, there's sciences that look at how our bodies work, right? That's biology. There's sciences that look at how people interact. That's sociology and how uh, cultures interact with one another. But those all have variables. People. The thing about m physics and these laws of motion from Isaac Newton and, and some of the others is that they're just inanimate objects. right? 
inanimate objects and it's an observation of how they work. The Greeks thought that these inanimate objects had something to themselves. So if something was in motion, there was some, something inside of it that kept it going. But their observation of things, that didn't really play out. There was an issue because stuff stopped. When it would fall, it would just stop. So they couldn't quite explain it. And again, as I asked the kids, you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with anything? Our gospel reading this morning, I love the motion of the gospel reading. I don't know if you heard it, because usually we're listening for the words that are being said. We're listening for the conversations that are going on. We're wrapping our heads around the mind of, or wrapping our minds around who's present, who are the people, who are the characters. We've got a blind beggar, we've got Jesus and his disciples, there's a large crowd following, and then we start wondering where they are, right? One of my favorite lines, and they came to Jericho, and as they were leaving Jericho, <laughs> what happened in between? <laughs> you know, you've got just this brief little moment. So we know where they are, they're in Jericho, they're leaving Jericho, they're heading up to Jerusalem, a road that's about 15 miles long, well-traveled. Folks walked that road all the time. Jericho is on the east end of the country over by the Jordan River. Jerusalem is up on the mountain where the temple's at. The priest would walk back and forth. In fact, the parable of the Good Samaritan takes place on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. You've got lots of people walking this road. It's a natural place for beggars to be stopped. I mentioned I, I really like the motion of this text. Think about it. Jesus and his disciples moving, moving from Galilee, moving through Samaria, moving through down the Jordan, moving and moving, coming into Jericho and not even stopping. They came to Jericho and then as they left Jericho, they're moving along this road, moving and moving. But there's someone who stopped. You've got blind Bartimaeus. And then they're translators, and Mark helps us out with that. It's the son of Timaeus. But if you know a little bit of Hebrew, it's really kind of funny because bar just means son. So bar Timaeus <clears throat> is the son of Timaeus. And so this son of Timaeus, whom obviously that detail was important for the first hearers of the gospel because Mark specifically says this guy, whether they could go back and talk to him or whether they just knew him, maybe some folks grew up with Timaeus and they were probably like, oh yeah, man, we know that guy. Whichever way it was, Mark names him. And this Bartimaeus is stopped on the side of the road. Can't go anywhere, can't see anything, can't make his way at all. And we look at that and say, yeah, he was blind. Sure. Again, cultural understanding now. Let's move into a little bit of sociology. Cultural understanding of the day was that if you had some malady, something going on, whether you were lame or deaf or mute or blind or something along those lines, and you were paying the consequences of someone's sin, whether they were yours or your parents. So the cultural understanding of the day is that this Bartimaeus, this blind guy is stopped in his sin. There is nothing he can do to recover his own sight. There's nothing he can do to get himself out of that sin. There's nothing he can do Except sit there and wait. Wait for the generosity of others. Wait for the handouts of others. Wait for somebody who might be willing to guide and lead him along. But all he could do was sit on the road and wait. Stops, at least in the day's understanding, stops in his sin. 
So he sat there, waiting. And all of a sudden, a murmur comes along that there's this movement of people. I'm sure, as many of you know, when one sight or sense goes away, the others start to get a little bit stronger. So you can imagine this blind guy sitting on the side of the road, listening intently for whoever's walking along the road, and hearing the murmur of a crowd and the trample of the feet as they come up this road. And as they leave Jericho and come up the road, he hears a name, Jesus. Jesus is in this crowd. And for the first time, we hear a new title for Jesus in Mark's Gospel. Son of David. Now we've got to go back a little bit further. So why is that important? Son of David, that was the title for the Messiah. That was the one who was to come in the line of David who would bring the Israelites up out of their oppression and take away everything that was holding them down. It would put them back on the political map. It would unify everybody and there would no longer be any division amongst the people and the great golden age of Israel would be brought into the light. That's what they were looking for in the son of David. This wonderful leader, king to come, Messiah, anointed one. And so as Bartimaeus sits there and he hears Jesus is walking along, he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd wants to keep moving. Keep the momentum. We're following this guy up to Jerusalem. It is almost time to really have him show off. It's almost time for him to break down the order of everything. This king is moving. And the crowd wants to keep moving. And so they silence him. No, you sit on the side of the road. You're dealing with something that we can't handle. You sit over there. Sometimes there's times in our life we get focused on our own, our own direction, our own thing, and a misunderstanding of what God may have set in front of us, and then we start to silence other things and say, no, you don't count and you don't need to be part of it. We're on our way. I don't know what that looks like in your life. It might have been within family or friendships or relationships. I don't know, but I know there's times at which we shut our ears to the needs of somebody because our eyes are so focused in the direction we think we need to go. So as Bartimaeus sits there, he cries out even more, Son of David, have mercy on me! Because he knows he can't do it on his own. In some moment, there's a brief little piece right in the middle of the text. And Jesus stops. Think about that. Jesus stops. A whole crowd behind him. A whole crowd keeping the momentum going. A whole crowd as he knows his focused mission at this point is straight to the cross and all the suffering and things that he is going to have to endure for Bartimaeus' sake, for the crowd's sake, for your sake. As Jesus is on the mission that is laid ahead of him. Yet this man crying out for mercy on the side of the road, Jesus hears him. And Jesus stops. Stop for Bartimaeus to hear him. And he asked him a really beautiful question. What would you have me do for you? In our readings each week, between last week and this week, we skipped a chunk. We had been going right along and not missing anything, but in the way the readings are laid out, we skipped a piece. 
We skipped a piece where James and John walked up to Jesus as they were walking along the road, and they said, Jesus, we have a question for you, and we want you to do something for us. Whatever we would ask of you, we want you to do. And he says, what would you have me do for you? The exact same question, exact same wording, exact same phrase. And they said, seat us on your right and left when you come into your glory. Let us be there, man, so we can be your counselors. We can be right there with you as you come into your kingdom. We want to be on your right and left. Seat us right there in the positions of power. And he said, that's not for me to decide. The ones who are to sit on my right and left, uh, they're already appointed. And you guys have no idea what you're asking. So now as they walk along, that conversation finally finds its end and they come to this road and this blind man is standing in front of Jesus who has stopped for him and Jesus says, what would you have me do for you? He says, teacher, let me recover my sight. Please, give me my eyes back. Let me see you. That's it. You can imagine a little smile on Jesus' face as he's not asking for anything glorious. He's not asking for anything other than, again, in that cultural understanding of the day, to be forgiven of his sins. To be given back the way that his body should work and being able to see, to not be blind anymore, but to be able to see things openly. And this man who is physically blind calls out Jesus as the true Messiah that nobody in Mark's Gospel had called him as yet. And he stands up in that moment, remember, and says, Messiah, have mercy on me. Savior, have mercy on me. And Jesus just smiles. Well, I think he smiles. Just go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now think about that. Jesus got him going again. Both of them are no longer stopped. He's forgiven of his sins, able to go his own way. Does not need anybody leading him anymore because he is no longer blind. He can see and go any direction that he wants to go now that Jesus has made him whole, now that Jesus has forgiven his sins, now that Jesus has made him right and accepted in the community. He no longer has to beg. He can go any which way he wants to go. And he follows Jesus all the way into Jerusalem to see his Savior, to watch his Savior, to see what goes on with this whole thing. He follows along on the road as they continue on to Jerusalem, forgiven of his sins, following his Savior, in the movement with Christ from that moment as they continue on. Jesus stops for you. The day of your baptism, Jesus stopped. Whatever church you were in, whatever place you were in, He stopped in that moment, in that water, as you were baptized into His death and His resurrection. As God's Word was poured over you in that baptism, God's Word was there, living and active, but in a very particular place for you to forgive you of your sin. Every single Sunday, He's in that bread and wine that's in your hands. Stop for you, present in your hands, for the forgiveness of your sins, for the strengthening of your faith. And then at the end of everything, He says, go. You're forgiven. Go in peace. And serve your Lord. What's that look like? It looks like trusting everything that God has done from outside of us to forgive us. It looks like everything God has done from outside of us as He has stopped with us to claim us as His own 
and then rise us up out of blindness as our eyes see holy and perfectly and clear of who Christ is in his death and in his resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. And then he says, go, see, listen to the people that I send you with. Listen to what their needs are. Stop with them every once in a while and see how you can sit with them and hear their cries for mercy. And then we don't have to fix it. We just get to point them to Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us as you have lifted us up out of blindness, as you have given us your sight to see of your love for us. Jesus, in your death and resurrection, you have forgiven our sins, opened our eyes, and sent us out into a world that needs to hear of you. We pray, Lord, that you work by your Spirit each day. In the moments where we're stopped in fear and any other thing, that you would remove that guilt and fear as you have loved us and forgiven us and send us out as your children. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Would you please rise as you are able and we will sing.